Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Thank you for your concern, everybody. I am alive. Uh, it's not as bad as I made that sound. That's uh, probably not fair. But um, so the story here, first of all, hi, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a new week. We uh, we broke our, our last streak here. It took like three and a half years to break the last one. This one took all of about a month and a half, two months. Not great. But this one... I just, I couldn't do it. And you might hear a sniffle or a cough every once in a while in this podcast, but I think by all accounts, we're uh, we're going to be able to get through it in in pretty good order. I don't have quite the vocal strength of, of usual, so I'll also be talking a tiny bit slower. But here's the deal. Friday, four in the morning, I woke up and I had a very high fever. I did not have the presence of mind to go check and find out exactly how high, but it was quite clear from the incessant shaking and the body aches like I was being pinned down by an automobile that something was amiss. Earlier in the week, last week, my wife had something that we figured was a cold. She actually had tested herself and was COVID negative uh, over the weekend. You guys can see where the foreshadowing is going on this one. I was up for a couple of hours waiting for various painkillers to kick in, and then I sort of zonked back out for a little bit. And then the kids woke up. This is all on Friday at about 6, 6.15, which is uh, earlier than usual. And they had fevers, not as high as mine. But we figured, all right, wife gave the cold to everybody. So we're all home. We're all doing what we can. I was fully laid up. I didn't get out of bed until close to lunchtime. I mean, I was just absolutely wearing it. And uh, they thought, all right, well, you know, let's just, we're stuck at home. We're all sick. Let's uh, let's go wander up the street. We'll throw on, we'll stay away from any humans. We're outdoors. Like, it's cold to cold. We'll go return some library books. It's like a half mile away. The library is pretty close. And I said, guys, just hold on a second. I know... I know your mom tested negative for COVID, but I haven't felt this awful since. And like, you always remember the times where you have a viral thing that's just so bad that you can't forget it. Last time I had felt like I I legitimately just could not move from fevers and aches and chills and sweating and so forth was actually undergrad. I mean, we're talking like, I think that was 2004, and I remember that one, and so we're going to go even deeper here into story time with Dan. That day, I woke up, and it was the same kind of thing, 2004, and I just felt so horrific, and obviously I had a fever, but I had an important meeting with an advisor in a class where I'm a bit of a nerd, a little bit of a perfectionist nerd. Uh, I think I was on pace to get like a B- minus or something like that, so I felt like I needed to figure out what I was doing wrong. And I remember, it's like, I put on a hooded sweatshirt, and I just, I couldn't even, I just, I, I, I don't even remember if I had a backpack. I think I just had, like, one folder that I carried with me as I trudged. It was like a mile walk, too. It was bad. 
And I got there and I found out the professor had to postpone and I'd never been so relieved of anything in my entire life because I knew I wasn't going to be able to have a normal conversation because I felt like I was going to die. And I just laid down on a bench in the middle of the Berkeley campus and I slept from like 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Just out right in the middle of campus. I could have been robbed blind. It's fine. There was like $3 and some moths in my wallet anyway. So I remember that. That was 19 years ago. The last time I felt this crummy, and I thought, mm, sure, maybe I have the flu, but nobody else seems to have this going on, and there's some sort of illness these days that seems to impact adults more than kids, seniors more than, right, you know, middle-aged adults. Am I middle-aged now? Family, give me 10 minutes. Let me just do a quick rapid test here at home, and they said, you know what, we're just going to start walking. You let us know the results. So I did the test, and I walked away, and I came back about four minutes later, and yep, COVID. So you turn around, they hightailed it back home. They said, nobody get near us! Nobody get near us! They didn't say it loud because they didn't want to send any projectile virals into the air. And then we tested everybody, and boom, all four, the whole damn family, we all have COVID. My wife had it first, so she's probably about done. She's been symptom-free for a couple of days. Kids got over it in about a day and a half. They had low, very low-grade fevers, really almost never slowed down. Their appetites were maybe diminished by about 40% for a day. Just me wearing it. Saturday, I was out of bed uh, regularly throughout the day. Saturday was like a bad cold after Friday was like the worst. And then yesterday, Sunday, I started to feel a bit more normal. I've had Tylenol and Advil going back and forth throughout the whole thing. I've been using Afrin to try to get air through the sinuses. Today, uh, relatively similar to yesterday, but more vocal strength, interestingly. That was sort of a big thing day over day. So we're uh, we're mostly recovered over here. Um, trying to figure out what the hell the latest rules are on when kids can go back to stuff. I know they have to be fully symptom-free, and each of them has like a little bit of a snot thing left, but uh, we're getting there. So thank you to everybody on Twitter that sent good thoughts. Apologies for missing the Friday podcast, but we are back today. And we're going to dive back in, pick up where we left off with, you know, we... Uh, so, uh, I guess this is where things get a little bit confusing, because I wanted to save, I wanted to do a chat with Fiddle and Keith, but I also kind of want to do that when I'm more fully. So, we're going to go, we're going to go southeast today, which, by the way, Miami, their number is now on the board at 48 and a half, but I'm not even going to break it down, because we all think that Dame is going to end up there uh, I don't think it's the the greatest idea to buy in on Miami at the moment, but if you're gonna, this would be the time to go under. Because if they do the Dame thing, which is kind of a funny way to say do the damn thing, but if they do the Dame thing, see what I did there? Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of getting used to time. And their number's 48 and a half, so I actually like the heat under quite a bit at this exact moment. But we're not going to break that one down because I don't think that's fair really still i think it's a great opportunity actually to get an under on miami but let's just start with the hawks today we'll do the other four teams we've had a couple of uh situations like this i think the both the uh 
Pacific and the Northwest. The the Clippers were off. Now they're on too, by the way. Blazers remain off. Clippers are at 46 and a half this year as we wait on the James Harden stuff. Hawks are at 42 and a half. And there's some really, really sharp people I know that uh, like the Hawks under. And I'm actually on the other side with this one. Now, it's not one of my most confident ones. Um, Again, this is an exercise we do. We just go through every single team and make the call on it. So we'll see how we do on all 30 teams. I'll try to illustrate to you which of the ones are my favorite. You can usually hear them as I'm talking about them. The way I look at Atlanta right now, I'm not worried about John Collins being gone. I, I, I do think that that takes a little something away from them. But I also feel like after three years of being wrapped up in trade rumors, there's almost a sense of relief, both around Collins and around the Hawks, that they just don't have to think about that anymore. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Continuity is the name of the game for me on the Atlanta side. They got to 41 wins this last year in what I felt like was kind of an all-around bad season. I didn't think that anybody played all that well. Trey Young had one of his poorer shooting years. I mean, he was fine, but there was nothing special about it. 43% from the field. He was especially bad from three-point land. DeJounte Murray slotted in relatively well, and from a health standpoint, they they held up okay, so maybe that's the area where you think, okay, well, if either of these guys gets hurt... How do they add two wins to the ledger this coming season? Trey, in particular, has been a pretty damn durable dude. I'm going to just assume he continues to be until I see something otherwise. I think we'll continue to see growth from Onyeka Okongwu. They still have Capella. They still have uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson is a young guy they're relatively excited about. And so when I look at this Hawks team, it's just to me all about having kind of a, a a run at it. With Quinn Snyder now, has been able to kind of install all his stuff. He'll have an offseason to change up what he wants to change up. I'm sure he'll mix and match coaching staff, things of that nature, uh, in a way that he didn't really have an opportunity to do when being brought in midstream. The whole Trey Young-DeJounte Murray thing has another year of settling underneath it. There was just a lot that went on last year. The fear with the Hawks, again, in addition to the health stuff, is that they stagnate. You know me. I try to fade teams that have a fear of stagnation. I think we're a year 
or <laughs> I mean, it could kick in partway through this season if there's no obvious areas of growth, but it does feel like the Hawks are about one season away from hitting potential stagnation mode. I don't think they blow it up in the middle of this season unless things are going exceptionally horribly, which I don't see that as the thing that's coming up here real soon. Uh, and I think they just find a way to grab a couple more of the closer games. Maybe you see a little better outside shooting from Trey Young, little stuff like that that goes a long way, and Atlanta just does inch their way over. I also think that they see a path to get out of the play-in tournament, which didn't stop them this year. They they did come out of it. Atlanta and Miami emerged from the play-in. But knowing that Brooklyn is likely to fall out of the top six, and there's no guarantee that New York stays in there, but they probably do, Atlanta can look at this board and say, look, we're going to be fighting with Miami and, I don't know, maybe Chicago to try to get up into that six spot. So let's go do it. So let's try in every ballgame. Let's be a, a little extra tough. Let's be extra focused because there is a lot of stuff going on with Atlanta that feels like it's in kind of a prove-it spot. They have to show improvement or it might be big changes time. So uh, I'd lean towards the over on this one. Uh, I'm going to start the next one here by just saying it's one of my preferred plays on the board, and I think the Heart Charlotte Hornets go over 31.5. And, and honestly, I'm a little surprised that I haven't seen more noise on this one. In fact, the early betting on this suggests that a little bit more money is coming in on the under at 31.5. And, and I hate looking at that because I feel like sometimes it's hard to know if that's just a reaction to what people saw last year or more, but I'm going to lean in the direction of people reacting to last year when the Charlotte Hornets were flat-out terrible for most of the year. They won only 27 ball games, and season over season, like roster-wise, they got the number two pick, but I don't think people are putting a whole lot of stock in that, certainly not the way that they have with the Spurs getting Victor Wembanyama. This Hornets number, I believe, is low, because they were bad last year. But I don't know that it fully covers why they were bad last year. The Hornets were terrible because their best player missed more than half the season. LaMelo Ball played in 36 ball games, And he wasn't even fully healthy in the 36 ball games in which he played. In addition... Terry Rozier missed 19 ball games. Kelly Oubre, who's not there, missed 34 ball games when they went into tank mode. Gordon Hayward missed 32 games again. Mark Williams only played in half the season. Yeah, they jettisoned Mason Plumley, but I don't really think that that really changes almost anything. The only Hornets regular this last year, who, by the way, still unsigned, and maybe they don't get him back, which that would put a little bit of a dent into things, is P.J. Washington, who played 73 games. But, you know, looking at this board, a lot of it comes down to, and, and should, frankly, come down to LaMelo Ball. Because when he's in there, the Hornets are not the worst team on planet Earth. When he's not, they were just awful. And it's not like they were good when he played this last season, but you might remember... 
The last five games that LaMelo Ball played in, the Hornets won them all. They won five games in a row before he went down. February 27th. That was his last game of the season. They had won five straight games. It was a team that was actually getting better as the year went on. They won them all. And then if you're trying to figure out why the Hornets were terrible the rest of the time, well, Ball was in and out of the lineup for basically the entire season until finally it was just the end of the, run, the, end of the line. Now, again, I, I, this one's hard to talk about, so bear with me a little bit. Miles Bridges. It's a, it's a gross story, but from just a basketball-only standpoint, so please, in your mind, for just the next, like, 45 seconds, try to separate life from basketball. He will make them better. There's no reason to think that he lost his ability to play. He's going to be on sort of best behavior mode. And then if you're worried about the P.J. Washington thing, I do think that they have enough young bigs to kind of to cover a lot of that. And then Brandon Miller's a guy that slots in and they can run kind of different looks. The Hornets should be fast and fun again this year. They won 33 games the season before this last one with medium-level health and young guys that were just finally really beginning to learn how to play. They didn't blow the whole team up this last year. They just sat everybody down other than, again, basically than Plumley, And they're going to try to win. There's no reason for them to go tank mode two years in a row when they need to try to convince someone like a LaMelo Ball that, who got signed his extension. You don't think that they gave him that extension and were like, oh, by the way, we're going to tank another year. No chance. It's go time. I like the Hornets over 31 and a half, and I like it a decent amount. Next one to me is one of the hardest ones, and that's the Washington Wizards because they have the lowest number on the board at 24 and a half. That's an interesting note, by the way, because last year you had three, four teams that were all in that like 24. Three and a half, 24 and a half, 25 and a half range. This year, the Wizards are the only club anywhere near that mark. Pistons are the second lowest at 27 and a half. And then you jump all the way up to the Spurs at 30. Why does that make the Wizards so hard? Well, normally, if, well, for this season, if you were looking at this year and I saw Wizards at 24 and a half, I should be a little bit more clear about that. If you were looking at the draft class of this last year, and every other team was this past season's iteration of that team. And then we saw Wizards, a tank wizard. I would have said under. Because you'd have had Wenbanyama, Scoot, and a bunch of teams that all were going to be horrible. And fighting with each other to be the most horrible. But that's not really the case this coming year. Because oddsmakers are already telling us Teams did their tank. The Wembanyama year was the tank year. Now, the Pistons, yeah, they're going to be bad, but they're not going to be try to lose 20 or try to lose 60 games bad. The bad teams now are like 50 something losses, which I know sounds small as I say it on this podcast, but it's a big deal because it means that probably no one in the NBA has to start the season trying to lose. That's notable. Say it again. No one in the NBA is going to have to start the season thinking about losses. 
I would argue that the Spurs, the Rockets, I don't know about the Pistons because they lost Cade early, so that one shifted a little bit. I thought we might see a couple extra teams, teams like the Pacers, they ended up being too decent. The Jazz ended up being too decent. Charlotte leaned into it as the year went on. Portland leaned into it. But you had two teams, at least, say minimum two teams this last year, that on day one of the season were thinking, how many games are we going to have to lose to get a top three lotto ball? This season, I don't think there are any. And even the Wizards... Because of that, so it would have been Washington, but now they look around them and they're like, okay, well, Pistons are going to be decent enough to win 25 to 30 games probably. Like, sure, we're thinking about how many we need to lose, but we don't really need to worry about it until the latter stages of the season. So even the bad teams are going to, again, to use a baseball terminology, just kind of run into one. So the Wizards, they have Tyus Jones, they have Jordan Poole, they have Kyle Kuzma, they have Daniel Gafford, they have Denny Avdia, they have Corey Kispert. Like, they have decent, I want to say they're not a good NBA team, far from it, but they have enough NBA-level players on that club to where they're going to just sort of win 24-ish basketball games. And so now you're basically saying, okay, we're going to be looking at a Wizards team that's probably sitting on 22 or 23 wins with about two weeks to go and thinking, will they win another ball game? The honest-to-goodness truth is I have no idea. But I'm going to go over on this one because I just don't think the tanking teams this year are going to be as bad as they have been the last couple of seasons. Detroit won 17 damn ball games this last year. Houston and San Antonio won 22 apiece. No one is staring down the barrel of that kind of year this season. And the Wizards, being the team that oddsmakers say the closest, well, look at them. They're not as bad as those teams. Detroit had, like, did Detroit have any NBA-level guys on that? Barely. Houston? Uh, I mean, Jalen Green has some talent. Kevin Porter Jr. has some talent. Alperin Shengun has some talent, but these guys aren't really NBA-level dudes. San Antonio? Not really. Again, this Wizards team, while not good, has three, four guys you can point to and just be like, these guys at least know how to hang with the NBA. They'll let the young guys run. But I think they I think they clear this. I think 25 wins is the mark. So I feel like this number is actually really close, but I'll go over by a half game. And Orlando, I'm going against the grain on this one. Everybody can punch me in the face for it. I'm going under with the Magic. And one thing that I always feel like I need to say when I start talking about an under is that I don't dislike the Orlando roster. I think, uh, by and large, the they're a pretty talented damn team they took a really nice step last year and we called it we were on the over for magic last season because they got the number one pick they weren't going to tank again feels too greedy teams don't like to get the number one and then tank another season it has a bad taste to it and then they had enough talent 
without even really pointing at anyone on that Magic team and saying, oh, these are like NBA-ready guys, to just play decent basketball. And that's what they did. But a lot of what the Magic accomplished this last season was what I call surprise wins. Not that we should be surprised they got them, but that they surprised opponents by being capable. It happens regularly. There's always a team that catches everybody by surprise because they look at them and they're like, oh, who's this ragtag bunch of young dudes? And then they're actually like collectively kind of decent. But I don't think the Magic are going to have that advantage this year. Teams know that Orlando's going to be a decent opponent coming into a ballgame, and so they're going to game plan for it a little bit. They're going to game plan for Paolo. They're going to game plan for Markel Fultz. I thought those were the two most impactful guys for the Magic last year. And then the thing that worries me with Orlando is I think you probably see Paolo improve, most likely. I don't know where the... I don't know where the big jump comes from. And it seems sort of dumb to refer to uh, a Magic team that won 34 games needing to get only three additional wins as, quote, a big jump. But getting from that group, Orlando was in the 34-win group, along with teams like Washington and Indiana in the Eastern Conference and teams like Portland and Utah in the Western Conference, and getting up into that play-in group in each side, which is like getting to the 500-level club, it's actually a pretty big leap. Someone on your team has to become that kind of unguardable guy. It's super weird to think of it that way, but look at the teams that made it, that got into the play-in. Atlanta has these two star players. Miami has these two star players. Toronto as a litany of solid guys last year. Chicago has their kind of big three. Orlando could have that if Paolo and Franz or Markel, whoever, if these guys do take that star-level leap, but you just don't really make the play-in tournament now without having those types of guys, the closers, the look-to guys, the high-volume efficiency guys, the dudes that change the game on a night-to-night basis. The Magic have a lot of good players. I like that roster. They're loaded with talent. But I don't know if any one of those guys is the game-changer yet. And it's a simplistic level of analysis, I know. But it is really hard to get to 37 wins in the NBA. You start to push into that near 500 group... And I would argue the only team that got to that level last year that you could point to and say, how the hell did they do that, was Utah. And Utah, I thought, was a lot of the surprise wins because they just played this wacky, uh, all-over-the-place brand of basketball that no one could figure out how to deal with. And Larry Markinett had had mega career year, and Mike Conley was sort of perfect for them. Uh, And then they went into tank mode. But the rest of the teams that got up and over that hump to 37 wins or more are all teams where you're like, okay, this makes sense. This is a team that can win some close ball games. I don't know that the Magic have that gear yet. I look at the Orlando Magic and think that this is a club, and I, I'm not looking at their contract situation right now, but I'm betting that they're in pretty good shape based on how young the team is by and large. Yeah, they have like almost nobody costing them money next year. In fact, Fultz comes off the book after this season. 
Next year is the year I look at the Magic and say, this is the jump forward year for Orlando. They'll have to pay faults if they want him to stick around. But even if you put that onto the books, the rest of their roster is just a ton of rookie contracts and like a couple of $8 million men, basically. I look at the Magic and say, next year, that's a club that's going to go out and get somebody. And then they put their foot down. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong about all these things. But that's where my brain is coming from with this club. I think Orlando stagnates for one year or maybe even takes the tiniest step backwards from 34, maybe down to 32 or 33. I don't see them getting a 37 or higher this season. I do see them getting there next year if they make the right moves in the offseason, which I think they will because they're building it up the right way. I like everything I've seen from Orlando so far, um, but I think they're one piece away right now from getting to that next level. I'm hoping that I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow because uh, I think we're all still going to be in lockdown over here for at least one more day. But at some point this week, we'll get Fiddle and Cork on. We'll talk uh, their favorite season win totals. If it's not tomorrow, which, again, I think it'll probably be kind of hard to pull that one off scheduling-wise with all the insanity going on over here, um, then we will talk probably Central tomorrow and Atlantic either the day after that or the day after the day after that. But uh, either way, we'll get there. No promo today because I don't think I'm going to have the strength for it. So, again, shout-out to Caldera Lab, Manscaped, uh, ExpressVPN, and, of course, Sports Ethos, our benevolent overlords here on Fantasy NBA Today. Make sure to go get yourself a Fantasy Pass, the all-sport pass, $7 a month until it goes up to 10 probably in a week or two. I thought it would be already, so you call me an idiot. I thought it would be happening by around now. Um, I believe they did drop some uh, Fantasy NBA tools but they didn't raise the price yet because they're not specifically draft guide tools. So they they fooled me a little bit. But either way, it's going up from 7 to 10. This is your last chance to get the all-sport fantasy pass for $7 a month. As long as you don't turn it off, you can hold that $7 price for the rest of your life. Live a long time, and it's an even better deal. So, you know, eat some vegetables. I'm Dan Vespris, recovering. Currently, I am positive. Soon, I hope to be negative with covid we're okay though thanks again everybody for uh, for tuning in and checking in on me over the last few days back at you tomorrow at some point and we'll keep this train a rolling later for now You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.